Well, if you'll allow me just real quick, we want to do something a tad bit different than we normally do. I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news lately, especially Kentucky news and the old Christian realm of things. And many of you may have, but I've seen some of y'all shared already on this morning. But um, for those of you who may not know, we're going to clue you in real quick. But many of y'all are familiar with what the Lord is doing in, um, uh, at Asbury University. Many of y'all have maybe seen the, the Facebook uh, message, the Facebook post already, but if you haven't, I'll go ahead and tell you about point two when you kind of start glazing over this morning. Uh, feel free to get on your phone and look up what the Lord is doing in Asbury, Kentucky. There is a revival that is going on uh, with that, with, uh, at that university, and it is incredible to, to read about and to hear about. It's incredibly encouraging and this morning, we're going to take just a moment, and we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray that God continues to do a good work at that university, and that it wouldn't stop there, it wouldn't stop at their campus, that it would spread throughout all of Kentucky, and Lord willing, and I pray that it moves here to Eastwood Baptist Church. So feel free this morning, again, to look at what God is doing at Asbury, because it's really, really cool, and I encourage you to do that. And when we see God at work, we want to be involved uh, and, and pray for what God is doing, uh, not just at Eastwood or within the Bowling Green area, but we want to come alongside them and ask that God would continue to pour out his grace and his mercy on those folks who are experiencing revival. So we're going to pray for, first of all, for those people in that area who uh, have never come to faith in Christ, because in order to have a revival, you first have to be vived in the first place. So we want to pray that there's some vibing going on, that people are coming to faith in Christ, but that those of us in this room who are believers and, and, and at Asbury University as well, that they will be and experience revival. And so we want to pray for that. And that's our prayer and my prayer every time that a Sunday rolls around, that God would revive our hearts, that we would love, or we get the actually not love, we would have the opportunity to see God work in a similar way here at Eastwood. And so this morning, if you would, let's join together in prayer for what the Lord is doing there in Asbury. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to come and to lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, who are experiencing revival. Lord, how cool and how encouraging it is to see you working. And we pray, God, that that work wouldn't stop there, that it would, it would go throughout all of Kentucky, that it would come here to Bowling Green, that every church in the Commonwealth, Lord, would experience revival, that when we look back at 100 years, we can say that started here and we got to be a part of it. And so, Lord, we pray for all those who are, who are involved. Lord, may you continue to pour out your grace upon them and your mercy upon them that they would be forever changed, that it wouldn't stop at the walls of the university, that it would continue all throughout Kentucky, that it would continue all throughout our nation, that you would take hearts that are hearts of clay, or hearts of stone, rather, and turn them into hearts of clay, that we would be transformed, that this lost and dying world would hear about you, and they would be forever changed. And Lord, help us and use us to make your name famous. That, the, that your name just wouldn't be famous within these walls. But Lord, your name would be made famous outside these doors. It would be made famous in our homes, in our workplaces, in every restaurant we step into. 
God, that's our prayer. So, Lord, when we talk about revival, it's easy to talk about revival of those people, of other places. But, Lord, I pray that you would start your revival within us and within our hearts this morning. So, God, may you work in and through us. Pray for what you're doing in Asbury. And, God, may you continue to do that, that we would be able to see you work and give glory where glory is due. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. If you have your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 is where we, uh, we pick up today. We've been rolling through this book for the last several weeks now. Paul begins to kind of land the plane a little bit, if you will, in this final chapter as we uh, walk through it. The other day, and, maybe, and I say the other day, meaning every day, um, I was on my Facebook feed uh, multiple times during the day, as many of you are, because I've seen some of y'all's posts. It's a wonder that anything ever happens in our world uh, with as many things that people post every single day. And I've, one, I look at all kinds of different things that come across. Uh, um, Bev and I will sit next. I don't know if y'all happen at your house. Bev and I will sit next to each other on the couch when the kids are all in bed, and we just kind of get a time to kind of decompress, and both of us on our phones at the same time, you know, scrolling, and we're just like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? And we're just kind of looking. Her Facebook feed and my Facebook feed are completely different. I don't know if it's like the way it is with your spouses. So my face, Bev's Facebook feed is all kinds of sweet and cool and, and stuff. Maybe a few fails every now and then where she can kind of chuckle at pain people are enduring uh, through their fails. Mine have some fails in there too, but mine are, mine are like things that die, to be honest with you. So it's like things or things that should, people should have died in, like boat ramps. And they're like, how did you survive that? Or just stupidity that happens in the world. And one of my favorite things to see though, and I always stop scrolling when I'm seeing this is, is um, like live animals. Like, and I talk about, when I talk about live animals, I'm talking about like fierce live animals in particular, like on safari. Because when everybody walks, like in safari, everybody wants to go to a safari um, for one person, one purpose. It's not necessarily see all the animals, although that's part of it. It's cool. You want to see something tackled and killed. Let's be honest with each other. That's what you want to see. I had the opportunity about 12 years ago to, to fly to Kenya and uh, with a team. We, we uh, uh, had the opportunity to, to uh, basically equip and train youth pastors, Kenyan youth pastors, um, on how to do like discipleship. The church there is like 50 years behind where we are here. And so it's almost like this new ground of what it even means to make disciples. And so I was, you know, my little track that I was teaching was how to, uh, how to, how to fundamentally teach um, these people how to make disciples and what that means and, and personal relationships and all these. So we were there. One of the opportunities we got to do or while we were there it was to go on safari. And we got to see some cool stuff, some cool animals. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life. But the whole time we're waiting, where's that... Where's that death going to happen? We're hoping it wasn't us. Hoping it wasn't going to be us. But we wanted to see a lion chase after something and tackle it. And that's what I watch. I'm like, I'm on, the, on my Facebook feed. I'm like, he's going to get him. He's going to get him. Oh, missed him. Missed him. And I'll scroll until I get the next one. Because we all want to see that happen. So we go through the entire, this entire thing. Last thing that we did, we kind of went around this turn on safari around these trees. And there were uh, all these cars that were backed up. And we couldn't figure out why they were backed up until... The word kind of came back that there was a leopard who had gone up in the tree and had pulled his dinner up into the tree. And so for 30 minutes, we sat there and we watched this leopard do absolutely nothing but look at us 
and uh, with, his, with, with this deer that he had caught, basically a deer, um, that he had caught, and he had pulled up into the top of this tree. And we waited. And so we waited for 30 minutes, and finally after nothing happened, we didn't even get to see anything cool happen. He just sat there and looked at us, and then we went on about our way. But we all want to see on Safari, we want to see something happen. There's a story about, a, about this African man. He was out in Safari, and he was being chased by a lion. And as they're running, as anybody would do, as he's running away from this lion, the lion, who is going to be much faster than the man, catches up to him and swipes his feet, knocking him to the ground. The stunned Christian, like many of us would, the first thing that he did is he got on his knees, didn't even have a chance to really do anything else, got on his knees and he looked up to heaven and he offered a prayer to God saying, God, please, please make this lion a Christian lion so that maybe he'll have mercy on me and spare my life. And God answered his prayer. A bolt of lightning came down, hit the lion. The lion steps back on both of his, on, on his legs and hands and his, his feet. He sits there. And he crosses his arms, and he looked up to the sky, and he said, God, please bless this food I'm about to eat. <laughs> we have to be careful what it is that we pray for. I think many of you guys in your life as well, in your Christian life, we, we pray a lot. I've told you, I shared with you many a times how my prayer as a, as a four-year-old or, or even a, a seven-year-old was to, to get a Ferrari F40. The Lord never blessed that prayer until a few weeks ago after I told that story and uh, my friend Will uh, brought in a Ferrari F40 for me. It was about that big. And so I have it on my head. I'm looking at it like, hey, look at there. There it is. It's great. I got me one. Finally, the Lord answered the prayer. But sometimes we pray for stuff that's good. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray and that prayer is never answered, or at least we don't see God working to answer that prayer. Most of the time, I have spent my life praying for things that I'm really, really glad that the Lord did not answer. Because his ways are above my ways. His wisdom and what he sees and what he has for me is far better than what I could ever pray for myself. I remember at 18 years old, I've shared with you before that since the time I was four years old till the time I was 18 years old, I wanted to be an architect. My hometown, Frank Lloyd Wright, had built a building in my hometown, and I remember driving by that every single day going, I want to do what that guy has done and build buildings. And since the time I was four years old till the time I was 18, my second semester, 18, uh, my senior year, I'm planning to go to the University of Oklahoma, go to uh, architecture school, and God calls me to ministry. Just feel this, like God saying, that's not my plan for you. I know that was your plan, but that wasn't my plan for you. And so I surrendered to ministry. And I remember sitting there saying, God, whatever, I'll surrender to you. But whatever you do, don't call me to this type of church. Don't call me to this type of church. Those people are stuck up. It's where all the rich kids go. We didn't have a lot of money. Please don't send me there. Like, well, I'll do whatever, but just don't send me there. But it wasn't until my sophomore year in college that the Lord began to have a humorous joke for me. My youth pastor who, I'd, who was at the church that I had, had grown up in had uh, moved to a church in Colgate, Oklahoma, 85 miles from where Oklahoma Baptist University was. I went to that church. He, asked, he called me and said, hey, would you want to come do youth ministry? And I was like, yeah. 
Why not? I need some experience. I don't know what I'm doing. So I went and for about 18 months, two years, something like that, I was a youth pastor there at that church. After I graduated college, the Lord called Bev and I to uh, a church, First Baptist Church at Mena, Arkansas. Previously served at First Baptist Church, Colgate, Arkansas. I'm not this, like, sometimes I, I pick, I, I'm a little bit slow and I don't catch on to what the Lord does. But the very prayer that I had prayed, God, please don't send me to these type of people. God had directly sent me to two churches of those types of people. And then after that, spent five years, great, incredible ministry at both places. Five years later, I went to First Baptist Church, Oxford, Alabama. Met some of the coolest people in the world. And by this time, I'm sitting there going, what are you doing? What, what, what? Like, I'm, I'm finding a theme here. And then the Lord, after that, after a great ministry there, we moved to First Baptist, Owensboro, Kentucky. And the very people, the very people that I wanted nothing to do with, because of these perceptions that I had in my mind, God said, eh, check this out. By the time I ended up at First Baptist Owensboro, I was just like, I know what you're doing. I see here, and you're hilarious. And we've had some good chuckles about that ever since. But I am so glad that God did not answer that prayer because those four places, those four places were absolutely incredible. They weren't the people that I had thought that those people were going to, weren't the people that filled those walls. They were absolutely incredible. And so I'm grateful that he didn't answer those prayers. Paul here, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he begins by asking the church to pray. To pray. But what does he ask that we should pray for? Paul tells the church here that we should pray for God's work around us, and then we can rest in God's work among us. So pray for God's work around us and rest in God's work among us. If you have your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 through 5, as we'll be this morning. So if you would, if you're able, uh, join me together as we stand and read God's word this morning. Paul writes, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as has happened among you. That we may be delivered from the wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for your word this morning, that it would be transformative in our hearts, that we would be changed slowly and surely. Every time we come within these walls, that you're slowly working in and through us, taking hearts of stone and turning them into hearts of clay. So God, I do pray this morning that we would leave this morning having been transformed. That's what we pray. So Holy Spirit, be at work in this room today. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you're a believer here in this morning, this word is for us this morning. So as Christians, if you are a Christian in this room, three things that we must pray for. 
The first thing is, is we must pray for, as Paul says here in the first, in verse one here, is that we must pray for the distribution of the gospel. So we must pray for the distribution of the gospel. Paul says, verse one, he says, finally, again, landing the plane, finally, brothers, pray for us. Now, Paul is a mature believer. He's known Jesus. He's walked according to his ways. He's planted churches. He's endured persecution, suffered for the gospel. And yet he tells this young church, he says, hey, what I need you to do, if you do something, anything, please pray for us. Pray for Paul, Timothy, Silas, who are, who are out and sharing the gospel and planting churches. So he says to pray for us. But why? Pray for what? So that, first and foremost, so that the word of the Lord, the gospel message, would speed ahead. This is the idea. This isn't, this isn't you know, the, the, this isn't like a slow-moving effort. But he said that it would speed ahead, that it would run. Like when you, te- when you, when you cut a toddler loose at the mall, right? Head another way. That isn't what God's, it's like this, that made the gospel speed ahead. May it be active and vigorous. May that gospel swiftly, swiftly accomplish God's purpose. But how does the gospel go out? How is it that the gospel is sent out? How is it that this word is sped or how does it run? Well, it runs and it is carried through the feet of those who claim to love him and claim to be believers, you and I in this room. Donald Barnhouse, writer, um, commentator back in the turn of the 20th century, he said this, he said, men may not read the gospel in seal skin or the gospel in Morocco, which is, which is fine goat skin, or the gospel in cloth covers. In other words, it doesn't matter what they read the gospel. They may not have the chance to read it on anything, on any type of written word. But they cannot get away from the gospel in shoe leather. What does he mean by that? We can hand out gospels all the time, and I'm for it. Hand out the Bible. Sit there and give it to a friend who needs it. One of our own kids had a conversation with a kid at school the other day. The kid said something that said, that kid needs a Bible. And so he came to the house and said, do we have a Bible that we can give this kid? I was like, absolutely, we're going to give a Bible. Right? So we gave my kid a Bible, and he took it to his friend. Because he's like, well, because he said this word, so he definitely needs the Bible. And so he gave the Bible to a kid. Now, we can do all those things, and I'm for those things, but they may never read it. They may never even read about the gospel when they get it. However, how can people hear about the gospel and know for certain that they hear about the gospel? It's the shoe leather. It's you and I walking and talking and telling people about the gospel. They cannot get away from the gospel in shoe leather. But he says that this gospel, we pray that it would speed ahead and be honored, be glorified. 
as has happened among you. What does he mean by that? He sits there and says that the gospel itself is glorified when those of us who hear the gospel repent and believe. And so the prayer is, is that the gospel would go forth and those people would hear the gospel and repent, glorifying or, or honoring the gospel. The word of the Lord, or the word of God is glorified in the lives of those who share it and in those who receive it. Acts chapter 13, Paul says this. He says, and when the Gentiles heard this, talking about this, this gospel message, that they in fact too could be saved, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. So how was the gospel glorified when they, the gospel is received and people come to know Jesus? And then he says, this very same thing has already happened to you. It has been honored. It's been glorified. It has been received among the church in Thessalonica. One of the things that's been certain all throughout this particular book and in this particular passage as well is Paul first sits there and says that we need to pray for the gospel at the very end of his book. If you're going to remember anything, remember the first thing, God, you know, I need you to pray for us that the gospel might go forth. Because Paul's all-consuming mission was to see the gospel spread to as many people as possible. I think in the church what happens a lot of times is when we talk about evangelism and, tell, and sharing the gospel, it has to be programmed. It's got to be something, oh, on, on, on Tuesday nights at, at 7 o'clock, we're going to get together. We're going to, we're going to go share the gospel with people. And that's not a bad thing at all. I'm all about programming, all about planning, and all these different things. But the gospel was never something that had to be planned and, and put into like a program. That was never, Jesus didn't say, hey, go therefore and make a plan to preach the gospel on Tuesday nights. On Sunday nights, Jesus didn't give us a plan. He said, as you go, in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, as you're going, it's a great little word. It says, since you're going there anyway. So since you're going to work tomorrow, why don't you go ahead and preach the gospel to your neighbor, your coworker, to your waitress. Since you're going there anyway, preach the gospel. And that's what Paul desired the church to do and desire of us today. Christ desires for us to go out and to preach the gospel. Our personal lives in this church life, it should be marked by fervent prayer for both those engaged in the work of spreading the gospel, whether that's vocationally, we've got missionaries all over the world that, that their vocation is to share the gospel. But we also should be in prayer for the spread of the gospel even in our own lives. How often do we pray for our kids in our house that they come to faith in Christ? How often do we pray for people in our family who don't know Jesus to come to faith in Christ? We have to live. We've got to live out the command, you and I, live out the command to make disciples. And this simply goes beyond saying, Lord, bless our missionaries. I've got some missionary friends who are basically on the other side of the world from us right now. It's almost tomorrow, I guess, for them. And we oftentimes just casually lift up prayers. Lord, we pray for, pray for them, pray for them. And we do, and it's not, it's not like a, we don't 
desire that God be with them, but we just cast up little prayers as if it's a second thought, but we should be fervently praying for them. That God would use them to spread the gospel to the people in which they're working with. Our prayers should sound a little bit more like this, maybe. Lord, I pray that you would give our missionaries the freedom and the access and boldness to share the gospel so that many would be able to hear of your saving work. Lord, I pray that you would give me the opportunities to share the gospel with those around me and give me both the vision to recognize those opportunities and the courage to take those opportunities. So Paul here says, pray for us that the gospel would go forth. And I say for us today, I pray for us that the gospel would go forth. I love to plan. I like programs and I like all these things that we can plan and work together to try to make disciples here at Eastwood. But oftentimes, we, the things that we plan and the things that we do we plan and we base these, these programs after, you know, after our own abilities. I'm good at this particular thing, so I can plan it, and we're going to make it happen. And there might be some success, but, but it's all man-measured success. What is happening up at Asbury has nothing to do with what man has done. It has been what God has ordained to happen. And oftentimes, even within these walls at Eastwood, whether it's at this campus or the other campus, we rely on our own abilities to do things that only God can do. What happens, I can tell you this, and you know this, you know me. What happens, if anything's going to happen here at Eastwood, it's not going to be because of, because of will. Not at all. I pray, and my wife and I, we pray, we talk every night, and I've talked to, to many of the guys on staff. It's like, if anything happens here at Eastwood, we're going to look back and go, that had to be because of God. It definitely wasn't because of that guy. And that's the way we want it to be. We want it to be that God is the one doing the work. And when we sit back and we can say, man, look what God has done. And if you've been around at Eastwood at all in the last six years, five or six years, you can look around and you can say, man, well, how cool is it what God has done here? Because there's nothing that's, that has happened by man's abilities. It's only been by what God has done. Because anything that happens here, though, will be, will be a direct result of our faithfulness. Because we don't have anything to offer the Lord. We can assemble the greatest think tank by the smartest people in this room. We can get together. We can come up with the coolest idea. We could have these people think that we're going to have hot air balloons launching from the back. And we're going to win the entire, you know, area of Alberton because everybody gets a free hot air balloon ride. And we attract masses of people. It could be the greatest idea in the world. And if God's not a part of it. It's not going to happen. Likewise, we could give snow cones to Eskimos and God be a part of it and we could change the world. Why? Because it's not our own abilities. It is because of the Lord. But our lives, you and I, we should be consumed with seeing as many people as possible hear the gospel 
And we should recognize that our living for the Lord and our pursuit of his calling are not dependent on our own abilities, but in fact on the activity of the Lord in our lives. So as Christians, we have to pray for the distribution of the gospel. We also, we have to pray for the deliverance of the persecuted. See what Paul here says, and and, and pray, basically, is what he's saying, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. At this point in Paul's ministry, he has been stoned in Lystra. He has been flogged and imprisoned in Philippi. He knows what it means to suffer at the hands of evil men, and he is praying that we would pray that they would be delivered, that they would be rescued from evil men. And these evil men are these people who oppose the gospel. They're the ones who will harm people who spread it. So he says, protect us. Pray that you protect us from these evil men, that we be delivered from that. In verse, the end of that verse, he says, for not all have faith. Faith here is the, the response, the to the positive response, if you will, to the preaching of the gospel. This is opposite of what Paul discussed in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, where he says, Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Paul says that not all of these evil men have faith. But again, he says, regardless of what has happened to Paul and to his buddies, he reminds the Thessalonians in verse 3, that the Lord is faithful. That the Lord is faithful. How often have you been, when you feel like you've been through trials in life, how, is it, how often have you sat there and had to remind yourself, remind yourself that the Lord is faithful? that he is sovereign of whatever it is that you're going through. And you have to sit there and rest in the fact that God is sovereign. And how has that brought you comfort? And I think Paul here is telling the church that the Lord is faithful. Regardless of what's going on, the Lord is faithful to calm his heart and to remind himself that the Lord is faithful, but also to encourage the church that the Lord is faithful. Whatever it is that we experience in this life, the Lord is in fact faithful. And Paul continues, he says, he will. This is something that he will do. He, in fact, will establish you. It most certainly will happen. He will establish you. This is a familiar theme we've read all throughout this particular book. Second Thessalonians chapter 2.16, as a matter of fact, he says the very, very similar words and the same thing, that, that, we are to, he's good, that, that God is going to establish us. He's going to strengthen us. He's going to make us more firm. He's not only going to do that, he's going to guard us or protect us. It's that idea when, when your kids get scared, whether it's in a storm or, or a, you know, something jumps out and gets them in the house or whatever. You gotta, I don't know if you have kids, but they stand behind the doors and, ah, you know, and they run. Like, our, that'll happen sometimes, and the kids will run. Like, especially as they're toddlers, they'll run, and they'll jump into your arms, and you hold them, and you protect them. Why? Why do they do that? It's because they know that's safe. And so this idea of guarding or protecting is, is this idea of holding someone in close custody. It says he will establish us and he will protect us. But protect us against who? Protect us against the evil one. It protects us against Satan. Unlike the faithlessness of many, 
God remains faithful to accomplish all he has said he would do. He will accomplish all that he said he would do in us and through us. I think it's amazing how God does not call us to anything, to do anything in this life and then leave us on our own to accomplish it. In a, in a couple of weeks, uh, maybe like 10 days, something like that, I'll, um, Eastwood as part of our, our, our mission strategy uh, moving forward. We're, we've got a couple locations we're looking at to make a, a significant impact over the next 30 years in a particular region, a significant impact for the gospel. So we're looking at a couple Spanish-speaking countries, and in, a couple, in about 10 days, I'll load a plane, I'll head to Nicaragua. And I went to a meeting yesterday, and I found out that, um, uh, I, I'm, of course, I'm the only preacher going, and uh, I've got to preach uh, to Spanish-speaking folks um, four times a day for three days. It's going to be the best sermon I've ever done in my life. It's going to be one sermon four different times each day. I'm going to come back. I'm going to have it memorized, and I'm just going to bless your heart with it one of these days. But let me be honest with you. I am scared to death. I'm scared to death. It's not in my comfort zone. Many of y'all know me like this, doing up on this thing. I mean, it, I, I like doing it, but it's not the most comfortable I feel. Like it's out of my comfort zone standing on the platform. I like behind the scenes work. That's not what God has, has for me now, and I'm cool with that. He doesn't have for, it, uh, for me in Nicaragua as much as I would love to do children's church and do all the crafts and fun and tell kids about Jesus. I'm going to be on the platform speaking one sentence at a time and being translated one sentence at a time. It's going to be awkward, and it's going to be weird, but he has called me to it. That is what his purpose has, the purpose he has for me in the next 10 days. Left to my own abilities, I would be scared to death, wouldn't hop on the plane. But as Christians, what he's called us to do, we can know and we can be certain that he's not going to leave us there to do it on our own. So when he says, hey, I need you to go out and share the gospel, what does that mean? Go share the gospel. Why? Because he commands us to. People need to hear it. But at the end of the Great Commission, he says, don't worry about a thing. Why? Because I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you alone to do it. I'm going to be with you. Paul continues in verse 4. He says, And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command, the things that he has taught them in the first letter that he wrote and in the second letter that he wrote. They're confident. He is confident that you are doing these things and that you will continue to do these things. What are these things that he's talking about? We talked about this last week. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, he says, Comfort your hearts and establish them for what? Every good work and word. If you remember, this is talking about walking the walk and talking the talk. God doesn't just command us to live and act like Jesus. He says, I need you to live and act like Jesus, but you don't have to do it alone. I'm going to be right there with you. I'm going to help you along the way. It's an incredible encouragement to us. And regardless of the difficulties we face as Christians, we can have confidence that the Lord will faithfully, strength, faithfully strengthen us and protect us as we live this Christian life. 
Ultimately, our ability to live out our lives for Christ is founded upon his work within us. We're not only saved by the gracious act of God, but we are kept by his gracious actions. And we are able to live for him due to his gracious and loving activity in our life. So Christians, we're praying for the distribution of the gospel. We're praying for the deliverance of the persecuted. And the last thing that we're praying for in in these verses is the direction of our heart. He says in verse 5, in a little micro prayer that Paul prays, he says, may the Lord direct your heart. May the Lord direct your heart. May he guide your heart. In our world, in the world we live in, and it's it's not terribly different from... Um, in the early church time, the heart was really, and, and even today, the heart is the driving force behind decision and action that we make. We hear it all the time in, in, in our world, you know, just follow your heart. Anytime there's a decision that needs to be made, just follow your heart. Wherever your heart leads you, Well, what does your heart say? Why do we say those things? Because it is our heart that kind of guides and directs our decision-making. This is no different in the Bible. However, when you read Scripture, there are a lot of different words that are used for heart. And it's trying to convey this idea of directing our willpower, if you will, to do something. So in the Jewish culture, what, they would, what would happen is they, they kind of took the different body parts, internal body parts, and they likened them to, um, or they kind of connected them with some decision-making. For example, anything that had to do with intellect in the Old Testament was referred to or was, was likened to the kidneys. Kind of bizarre. Don't ask me why. That, but anything that had to do with the intellect didn't go to the brain and went to the kidneys. I don't know why. But for example, Psalm chapter 16, verse 7 says this, I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. That's not, heart is not the word there. The word is kidneys. Now, I don't know if the psalmist was old and it was in the middle of the night and he just had to get up and while he was getting up to go use the restroom, because that's kidney stuff, right? That he was, the, the Lord instructed him in during those moments. Maybe that's what it is, but we change it to heart. Why? Because it guides and it directs our willpower. You guys have heard for many years that the emotions were actually in your stomach region. It was kind of directed by that. Why? When we, when, guys, when you hold the girl's hand, you, your stomach gets all butterflies in it, right? Like it's the emotions. Get, they were to liken that to your stomach. And so in verse 40, uh, Psalm 40, verse 8, it says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my stomach. What does that mean? The Bible here says heart, but what does it mean? That it sits within us, that our emotions, that it is your law that is within me and drives our emotions. Well, the heart, again, is no different. The heart is the willpower. It directs our willpower. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, with all of y'all are familiar with, says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. The heart, as we talk here, is the center of our lives. The Lord guides our heart so that we can accomplish his purposes. 
And so Paul here prays that the Lord would direct their heart, direct it where? He says, to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. What does that mean? It means to, to live a godly, moral life, a life that will endure, that will be steadfast. So up to this point, Paul's had two specific prayers for the Thessalonians. He said to pray first for the ongoing spiritual productivity, the gospel. And the second, he prayed for their ongoing spiritual growth, the direction of their heart to love God and to endure. So basically, Paul's here is saying that you're going to do all these things, church. I'd have confidence you're going to do these things, that you're going to live for Jesus, that you are, in fact, going to walk the walk and talk the talk. But what is this motivation behind you and I as believers walking the walk and talking the talk? What is it? Why is it that we should live like Jesus? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We are compelled to live for Jesus because he loved us. If you've been a Christian for a minute or two, you know that it is, it is difficult to live a Christian life. You surrender your life to the Lord, it didn't make your life easy. I've told, back, back in the old student ministry days, I've looked at my students and I said, listen, you come to faith in Christ, this isn't a life for sissies. This isn't a life that's going to be easy. It's not going to be all roses and rainbows. It's hard. It's hard not to bow to the pressures that are out there where we, we see everybody else living a particular life. It's easy to, to go with the flow, but oftentimes the Christian life, and actually every time the Christian life is going against the flow. It's like trying to swim upstream. But we're called to stand out and to act differently. To be a city on a hill. A light that people can see. To be different. And so we have to pray for the direction of our heart. We should strive to act like Jesus and we should pray that our hearts be burdened for the things that burden the Lord. And you know what burdens the Lord? What burdens the Lord is billions of people who have never heard the gospel. He'll never hear the gospel. What burdens the Lord is your next door neighbor who needs to hear the gospel. The guy at the gas station counter, your waitress, the kid that drives his bike past your house every day, that coworker in the office next to you or in the seat next to you who chews their chips too loud, they need the gospel. And that burdens his heart. One of my favorite preachers, as many of you all know, is, is uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he has this quote, and we, we named our, uh, the middle, uh, our middle, middle kid, our third kid. And you have four, like where is the middle, the, the two and a half kid, um, or whatever it is. 
the middle kid, uh, Stephen, Stephen, Stephen Haddon Smith, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. We specifically named my kid after this preacher for this particular quote, for this particular quote. And when it comes to the things that burden the Lord, this is how we should act in regards to those who do not know Jesus. This is what he says. He says, if sinners will be condemned, at, le- at least let them leap over our bodies to hell. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let, no, and let not one go there unwarned or unprayed for. That is go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. There's a reason why you have the job you have. There's a reason why you live in the house you live. There's a reason why God has put in your heart to do the things that you enjoy. It is so that those around you can hear the gospel. And if they go to hell, if people die without a relationship with Jesus and go to hell, may it be because they're leaping over our bodies. Because we have done all that we can to keep them from hell. May we act like Jesus by loving like Jesus and sharing the gospel. If you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's my prayer that you, re- you realize that you do not have a heart that is guided by Christ. If you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. We want to give you that opportunity to come to faith in Christ this morning. May you understand and hear me clearly that you on a road to a real place called hell. There was no way out for you. You can't get off the road on your own. But Jesus came. God became a man named Jesus, and he died for you so that he could then pick you up off of that road and put you on the road to eternal life in heaven. And it's my prayer this morning that if you do not have a relationship with him, that you would simply repent of your sin and that you would trust him for salvation. There's no special prayer. There's no special words. It is simply saying, Jesus, I am sorry. Forgive me and save me. That is my prayer this morning. For the rest of us this morning, it is my prayer that we live and we act like Jesus, that we are burdened by the things that burden him that we would get our act in gear and share the gospel with those around us. Here in just a second, we're going to have a time where we commemorate what God has done for us. And if you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe today is the day of your salvation to where here momentarily when we partake in the Lord's Supper, which is what Christians do to remember what God has done for us. You could be a part of that. Maybe today is the day of your salvation. So in the quietness of this moment, how do you respond today? As Christians, we repent of our unwillingness to do what God has called us to do. 
We pray that God would give us the courage to do what it is that he's called us to do. And we leave this place today doing what God has called us to do. That's how we respond today. As we move into a time of the Lord's Supper, we're going to spend just a moment here. We're going to pray together as we close our service out today. We're going to pray together that God would forgive us of our sins. The Bible is very clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 to 28. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we're going to take just a moment and just quietness. Maybe Tim's going to come up and he's going to play a, a little bit. If you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, examine yourself. And maybe today you come to faith in Christ this morning.